0: Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our Sunday morning service. It's great to see you all, whether you're here for the first time. Um, Great to have you join us today, whether you're online or here in the building. If you were with us um, last year in the midst of the pandemic, you may recall that we studied the book of Lamentations together, uh, which recorded the fall of Jerusalem and the exile of its inhabitants in 587 BC. It was a tough book to read, but in the middle of the of the despair, there was hope. Uh, these verses from chapter 3 uh, were particularly helpful. Let me read them from Lamentations chapter 3. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good To those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. There were verses of hope for us in lockdown. Not just that God would bring an end to lockdown at some point in his timing, but towards a greater hope that one day Jesus will come again and gather his people to be with him for eternity. A hope that um, puts everything in this life into perspective. Well, we're starting today a new sermon series in the book of Nehemiah, which demonstrates the fulfillment of a hope for the people of of Israel um, in terms of seeing the temple and the walls of Jerusalem rebuilt. But more importantly, seeing God's people being regathered and rebuilt. So as we look, God willing, to come fully out of lockdown shortly, there is a sense in which as a church we are being regathered and rebuilt As we seek to refresh the love of God and the power of God. So let's pray as we start our time together. Father God, we thank you that because of your love for us, we are not consumed. For your compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And even when other things have been stripped away during lockdown, we thank you that in Jesus we have all we need. In him we have salvation and we have hope. And so we pray this morning that you would deepen our knowledge of your love for us. That you would increase our hope and our joy as you continue to do your work in us and build us up into the church you want us to be. As we pray for ourselves, as we gather here this morning, we do pray for the colon as he preaches at Buckingham Evangelical Church, that you would bless, bless his ministry to your people there. In Jesus' name, amen. James Hughes is now going to come and bring us our reading from Nehemiah 1 and 2.
1: Morning. The reading this morning is taken from Nehemiah, chapter 1 through 2, chapter 2, verse 8. The words of Nehemiah, son of Halakai. In the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year, when I, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands then even if your exiled people are at the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, "Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill?" This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, And if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah, where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you be back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple, and for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy." And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the King granted my request.
0: Thanks, James. Let's pray as we come to God's Word together. Father God, we come now to hear from you. You pray you would enable us to do that with uh, humility. Help us to submit to your Word. Help us to be taught by you, built up by you. Helps to be filled with love for you. And helps to grow in faith and obedience to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder what you've missed most as you reflect on the, the time of lockdown. Whether it's maybe for some of you trips to the shops, um, watching a play in the theatre, going to the cinema to watch a film. Maybe going out for a meal. We're going away on holiday to get a change of scenery. For most, it'll be not being able to meet up with family and friends. Those periods when we're not able to gather together for for worship. I wonder what you found hardest during lockdown. In addition to the things you've missed, uh, there's been the worry about uh, health uh, and money and about not being there for those who have needed us. It's not been an easy time. And it begs the question, why would God let it happen? Why would he strip away all these good things and cause us so much pain and worry? What may he be wanting to teach us through this? Well, the people of Israel may have asked themselves the same question in the the 6th century BC. Why did God allow their city, their temple to be destroyed? And then to be carried off to exile in a foreign country? Well, they should have known the answer to that question because God had warned them many times before before they even entered the promised land. What would happen if they continued to be disobedient to him? He would scatter them among the nations. And sure enough, that happened just as he had warned them. Last year, as the pandemic took hold, we studied the book of Lamentations, as I said earlier on, which recorded the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians in 587 B.C., And as I said, it was a tough book to read, but there was in the middle of that book, that Notes of Hope. Let's look at those verses again, which I read out to the beginning. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the lord there were verses of hope for us in lockdown not just that god would bring an end to lockdown but that greater hope that one day jesus will come again and gather his people with him for eternity i hope that puts everything into perspective well, with this new sermon series in the book of Nehemiah, we see that hope being fulfilled for the people of Israel. The temple, the walls are, are being rebuilt. But God's people is being regathered and rebuilt. And at the heart of that regathering and rebuilding is Nehemiah's plea to God in verse 8 and 9. He says, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations... But if you return to me and obey my commands, and even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. Well, we might not have been scattered as a church in that way. We might not have, been, we might not have turned our backs on God quite in that way. But as Christians, we are in a constant spiritual battle in which the devil seeks to undermine our trust in the love of God and in the strength of God. And so as we come out of lockdown, it's a good opportunity to review our spiritual condition. There is a certain regathering and rebuilding that needs to be done. Not just as we look forward to uh, getting back to worshipping without restrictions, but as we seek to be filled anew with the Holy Spirit, experience the love of God and the power God. Well, the book of Nehemiah starts, we're told, in the 20th year of the reign of King Artaxerxes, which was 446 BC, nearly a 100 years after God sent Persia to conquer Babylon and to deliver his people who he had sent into exile. At that point, many of the Jews returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, rebuild the city, but it wasn't straightforward. They came up against foreigners who'd resettled there, and uh, so it took over 30 years to complete the rebuilding. But even after rebuilding the temple, the spiritual state of the nation was poor, which is why another Jew living in exile called Ezra set off to re-establish God's law in Jerusalem about 458 B.C. that is the setting for the events that we read about here. Nehemiah was a Jew who was living quite a comfortable life uh, as a cupbearer to the king of Persia in the city of Susa. A cupbearer was more than just a a butler. It was a high-ranking position in the palace of the king. The cupbearer had to be thoroughly trustworthy because he was guarding against poison in the king's cup. But Nehemiah's life is about to be turned upside down. Then one of his brothers, Hanani, together with some other men from Judah, arrive in Susa with some disturbing news. Have a look at verse 3. He says, Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And the significance of this news is not just that the city of Jerusalem needed a bit of uh, rebuilding work, nor even that it was open and vulnerable to foreign enemies invading, but it represented the spiritual condition of the people there. Nehemiah would have been aware that Ezra had gone to Jerusalem 12 or so years earlier, but it appears from this news that things have not really improved. And the Jews may be a long way from where Nehemiah was, But he's not lost his concern for them. So how does he react to the news? Well, he weeps, he mourns, he fasts, and he prays before the God of heaven. And as we look at how Nehemiah prays, there are lessons we can take away from this for ourselves and our prayer life this morning. Because Nehemiah prays out of compassion for others. He prays in humble dependence on God's love. He prays in humble dependence on God's strength. And he prays for the glory of God. So let's start with that first point there. He prays out of compassion for others. When Nehemiah got the news about his people in in Jerusalem, he could have just said, well, I'm really sorry to hear that. Please send them my love and gone back to his work. But he had a genuine compassion for his people. He identified with them. It caused him to, to weep. It says in verse 4, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. He doesn't try and work out how they got into this mess or whether or not it was their fault. He simply expresses his compassion for them. He weeps. I'm sure we can all think of individuals who have messed up their lives who may even be the ones who warn them, uh, and yet they, they mess them up anyway. Uh, and you may think deep down, "What well, if any of you had taken my advice. But what is it that makes us weep for people rather than be filled with self-righteous frustration or, or anger? Whether it's Christians who've gone astray or, or those who've never come to trust in Jesus in the first place. Isn't it that we know that there but for the grace of God go I? We know that we're deep down no better. But God has by his grace enabled us to come to faith and he sustained us in that faith. Matthew 18 tells us about the attitude of God towards people who wander away. Jesus said this, he said, if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly, I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any one of these little ones perish. Some of us um, may have thrived in our faith during lockdown. Others will have struggled and even gone astray others are holding on as a result of the loving support and the prayers of church members unlike God who has an infinite capacity for compassion our ability is limited isn't it and yet we can pray that God would grow in us by his spirit a greater capacity for love and compassion a love both in the sense of concern for others but love also that is translated into action nehemiah did the greatest thing he could for them he prayed for them and he prays in humble dependence on god's love verse 4 says for some days i mourned and fasted and prayed before the god of heaven he comes to god with empty hands he's nothing that he can offer god to make him answer his prayer his fasting, his, his empty stomach, is a physical reminder of just how dependent he is on God. Not just for food, but for, for everything. It helps him focus completely on God in his prayers. I wonder how often you fast. I oh, know I don't fast, nowhere near enough. And maybe it's a sign of just how much we depend on ourselves rather than God. How self-sufficient we are. Fasting and prayer go together. You don't just go without food and carry on with your busy life to somehow feel good about yourself. You don't fast to get God to do what you want him to do for you. We fast to readjust our focus on him, to express our dependence on him. To go deeper in our relationship with him. When Nehemiah comes to God acknowledging who he is... He is the Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God. Or see himself as just a servant who has no right to come before him. And so he pleads to God, let your ear be attentive, your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying. And the remarkable thing which Nehemiah knows is that God wants to hear his prayer because he loves him. This is the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love With those who love him and keep his commandments. Nehemiah is aware that there may be something that's come between him and God, which is the disobedience of God's people. And he doesn't try and distance himself from the rest of the people, but acknowledges their corporate sin. And so he says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself, he says, and my father's family have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses. And so he seeks God's forgiveness. But on what basis? Does he promise to, to somehow try and make amends? No, there's nothing he can do to make amends. He seeks forgiveness on the basis of God's love and his grace and faithfulness. And verse 8 says this. He says, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses. Saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, that even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Nehemiah is saying, we are repenting. We are returning to you. Please be gracious towards us. As Christians, we likewise come to God with empty hands. We we come and we appeal on the basis of what Jesus has done for us. The fact that he died in our place. He took the punishment that we deserved for our sins, which means we can approach the throne of God with confidence because we've been made right with him. And that's why we're we'll celebrating in the Lord's Supper shortly. Because of Jesus, we can come to God reminding him of his promise in his word that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But how often do we confess our sins? When Jesus taught his uh People to pray. Part of the model prayer he, he gave them was to say, "Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors." We might be quite good at uh, uh, saying grace before a meal, thanking God for our food on a daily basis. But do we ask God to forgive us our sins on a daily basis, or do we simply think, "Well, all my sins have already been forgiven through what Jesus has done"? On the cross. Of course that's true. But unless we come to him on a daily basis then we risk diminishing the amazing act of grace that Jesus did for us. It's also important to ensure when we approach God with our requests that there's not some area of sin in our lives that we're not aware of or that we've not dealt with. We're not brought to him. We can't expect God to answer our prayers if we're disobeying disobeying him. Let's pray for our own forgiveness, let's pray for our own relationship with God. And let's pray for others in their relationship with God. Which is the most important thing we can pray for them. When Nehemiah continues in his prayer for the people of Jerusalem, in verse 10, he says, They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. The redemption he's talking about here is the rescue from slavery in Egypt. The rescue from exile in Babylon, which points to a greater redemption. The redemption that Jesus achieved for us on the cross when he rescued us from slavery to sin. That redemption is part of the new covenant that uh, God promised he would establish with his people in the book of Jeremiah. We read that uh, these words in Jeremiah 32. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them. And I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good. I will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. I wonder when we approach God, whether we sometimes think of him as a reluctant God who doesn't really want to bless us, a bit of a, a Scrooge-like character. God has said here in his covenant that I will never stop doing good to us. He will rejoice in doing us good. It's not that he's got all these wonderful gifts that he's he's holding on to and he's letting go begrudgingly. He's longing just to pour out his blessing on us if we ask him to. And the fact that he doesn't always give us what we ask for when we ask for it doesn't mean he doesn't want to do us good. It's because he has a greater understanding of what is best for us right at that moment. And if we don't know what to, to pray for others, let's pray and ask God that he would show us how we can pray for others, for their particular needs. And let's also ask God that he would use us to, to help others using the strength that God provides. Which brings us on to our next point, that Nehemiah prays in humble dependence on God's love, but also in humble dependence on God's strength. Nehemiah's request comes right at the end of of the prayer. He's not a, a passive prayer. He's not saying, Lord God, please help your people back in Jerusalem. Meanwhile, I'll carry on with my life. He's saying, please help them and use me in any way that I can be useful. I offer myself as your servant. And so he says, Lord... That your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. He asks God to answer his prayer, not because of what he might get out of it, but so that he can serve God, so he can do God's will. But who is this man he's referring to when he says in the presence of this man, well, only now does he tell us in one short sentence, right at the end of that chapter, he says, "I was cup bearer to the king." Not just any old king here, um, but the most powerful king in the world at that time, King Artaxerxes, who had already reigned for twenty years over the, the whole Persian empire, and yet he was just a man. The first mention this powerful king gets is his description as a man. Why is this significant? Because Nehemiah has rightly taken his petition first to the real king, the king of all kings, God himself. Compared to God, Artaxerxes is just a man, somebody created by God. And if we go into chapter 2, what we see is that Nehemiah plans to go and see the king and ask him for permission to return to Jerusalem. He wants to go back to help his people. And we're told in verse 2 that he was very much afraid. It's not just that the king could simply refuse his request. He could have his thrown out. He could have him executed for daring to ask such a thing. Nehemiah is totally dependent on the Lord intervening. Which is why he asks for his help first. And when he eventually goes into the king... It is several months later, which reminds us of the importance of waiting when we pray to God. Do not expect an immediate answer to our prayers. Praying is about coming to God in humble dependence and allowing him to work in his timing. And that waiting often serves to increase our dependence on him and prepare us for what he wants us to do. So if you've been waiting a long time for an answer to prayer, then don't be discouraged. But make the most of this time before God calls you to act. It's in the waiting time that God often teaches us. Nehemiah was actually leading a, quite a comfortable existence. As a cupbearer to the king, he carried much influence. He was probably well rewarded. And of all the exiles here, the most to give up. If he were to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the city, he would probably have to leave many of his friends and family behind. It would be a tough job, not just physically, but in terms of motivating the people, resisting opposition from, from many quarters. You could say, well, what's it worth the hassle? Why not just carry on with what you're doing? After all, you can still pray for them. The thing is that when God calls his people to do tasks like this, the first thing he does is give them a passion for it. And once you've got that passion, all those worries begin to melt away. And talk to those who've been called to to serve in full-time ministry or to go overseas or maybe called to become a a foster parent, to take on something others might feel quite just uh, unworthy to do. They will tell you about the compulsion they've felt, that God is giving them the strength to do it, it may be though that you're not able to do anything practically. Maybe for you it is a greater commitment to prayer. But don't underestimate the power of prayer in humble dependence on God's strength. Whereas well, Nehemiah goes into the king's presence, God gives him the boldness to tell the king what he feels. And in verse 8, Nehemiah says, "And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me." The king granted my requests. Finally, my praise for the glory of God. We often end our prayers uh, for your glory's sake, but what what do we actually mean by that? How do we pray for the glory of God? When God acts in love and he acts in power, he is revealing his glory. And I wonder if the, two of the key reasons why we probably don't pray enough is we don't believe God wants to answer our prayers, and so we don't bother Him with them, maybe just feel they're, they're insignificant to, to God, or maybe we don't believe He can answer our prayers, and so we just get on with doing what we want to do in our own strength. And that is, if that is the case, we're not glorifying God, you know, we're quenching the spirit. But if we truly believe that God wants to answer our prayers in the best way, as he knows, and can answer prayers, he has the strength to answer our prayers, what would actually stop us praying more? So as we come out of of lockdown, let's commit to pray for one another, for the glory of God, because when as a result of our prayers we see that people's hope has not been affected by their circumstances, then God is glorified. When we see people trusting that God will use their circumstances for good, God is glorified. When we see people unafraid to to live out and share the gospel, God is glorified. When we see people with a passion for serving others, God is glorified. We can come to God in our prayers with confidence that he loves us, and he wants to demonstrate his power through us. And we know that because he's, he's shown his love and his power on the cross. As we're about to celebrate now. Before we do that though, we just, let's just have a moment to prepare our hearts and minds. We're going to have a time of personal confession to start with. A time of quiet, just confessing where we've failed to show compassion to others. Or where we've failed to trust in God's love and his power. We'll have a moment of quiet and then we'll say together a corporate prayer of confession. But let's first of all just come to God with our personal confession. Let's pray together. Words are on the screen behind me. Merciful God, we confess to you now that we have sinned. We confess the sins that no one knows and the sins that everyone knows, the sins that are a burden to us and the sins that do not bother us because we've got used to them. We confess our sins as a church. We've not loved one another as Christ loved us. We've not given ourselves in love and service for the world as Christ gave himself for us. Father, forgive us. Send the Holy Spirit to us That he may give us power to live as by your mercy you have called us to live through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Isaiah 53 we read, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Let's remain seated as we reflect on the words of uh, the next hymn, which is Rock of Ages. And during this song, the bread and the wine will be distributed, As if you can just hold on to those for now. but Let's just focus on the, the words of this, uh, this hymn, Rock of Ages. until he comes Jeff Wood's going to give us thanks for the the bread and the wine Bow our heads in prayer Our Heavenly Father we thank you for your amazing faithfulness to us we thank you Lord for providing for all of our needs and ultimately Lord for this ultimate sacrifice of your only son your one and only son we thank you Lord for the shed blood and for the torn body of your son that produced that sacrifice. Thank you, Lord, for his obedience, even unto death. And so, Lord, we come to you humbly this morning with grateful thanks in our hearts for what you have done for us. And we thank you, Lord, indeed, for your great provision. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Jesus said, this is my body which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. Take this in remembrance that Christ died for you and be thankful. The blood of Christ shed for you. Drink this in remembrance that Christ has died for you and be thankful. Let's pray. Father God, as we have eaten this bread and drunk this wine, we thank you for the reminder of the sacrifice of your son. Who poured out his life for us. We thank you for his promise that he will come again. We thank you for the hope that such a promise gives us and the strength it gives us to cope with the tough times that we experience in this life. Help us to encourage one another with that truth we pray. We do lift up to you this morning those who are in particular need of your love and your strength. Pray for those grieving. And remember Pete, Neil and Paul, Waters and the rest of the family as they prepare for Olive's funeral on Tuesday. Pray for those in hospital recovering from surgery, for Sid, for Jen, for Arthur. Pray for their families and their anxiety for their loved ones. For those due to have treatment this week, for, for Anne Peasley having a cataract done tomorrow. For others with chronic health conditions who need ongoing care. For those taking holidays that they will get the rest and refreshment they need. For those moving on, pray for Bruno. who has been with us for a short while as he returns to France uh, next week. Those starting new jobs, pray for Dave green as he starts a new job tomorrow may they all know your strength and compassion we pray we pray also for the work of compassion and the projects that are currently shut because of the pandemic we pray they would be able to reopen shortly pray for the staff who are seeking to support the children and their families in other ways and that the children would know the encouragement of the letters and the prayers of their sponsors and we pray for each one of us now as we leave here shortly, that she would send us out in the love and the power of your spirit to live and work to your praise and your glory. Amen. let uh, let me close with these words now from Ephesians 3. That to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is a work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.